live your life, boy. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Conspiracy Farm, where we don't start the conspiracies, we just add the water. And now your host of the most state-of-the-art, most informed podcast on the interweb, I present to you Pat Militage and Jeffrey Wilson. Ladies and gentlemen, are you ready for Yeah, rear naked choke of Cocker Spaniel, bro. You know what I'm saying? Change the neighborhood up. Conspiracy Farm. Go. Check it out. Perhaps Jeffrey Wilson is joining me today, of course, as always, my co-host. Jeffrey, how are you? I'm doing well, my friend. Doing my well. I've been nursing this, like, weird head cold for, like, the last... I never get sick, but it's like when it does, it's this, like, long, drawn... Not really super debilitating, but, like, my nose has been leaking. Now I'm just feeling a little wonky, but... Blessed to be here, bro. Blessed to have another chat with you. Had a brief uh, chat here with our guest today and looking forward to getting into it. Yeah, so let's get to our guest. Uh, Mariah Prusha is her name, and she's done a lot of things. This is kind of a hard approach, actually, to introducing this wonderful person uh, because there are so many things on the list here that she's accomplished, so to speak. So I'm going to go down. I'm going to try not to embarrass her too much, I guess, with some of this, but uh, there's just a lot of accolades here, Jeff, for me to read. Okay, can I can I can I do that for you? And our guest. So she was 2020 North Dakota Mother of the Year. Uh, she's an ACE certified personal trainer. She founded DefineTheFight.com, which is we'll learn about that as we go on. Certified IBNFC nutritional coach, host of Throwdown, uh, the Mariah Pressure Radio Show for quite a while. Freelance writer. Uh, area Woman Magazine, Reiki Practitioner, part of the Fargo, North, North Dakota Police Department, Youth Programs, Adjunct Professor at Minnesota State University, Fargo First Sanctioned Professional Female MMA Fighter, also has done professional boxing, has done coaching, is a mindset coach, a motivational speaker, and we can go on and on and on, but Mariah, welcome to the show, and uh, thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me on. So, Jeff, you, you, you spoke to her for a little while. Go ahead and I'll let you kick it off with questions. How's that? Oh, man, where do we start? I mean, I, I, I just was having a kind of a brief conversation with her, but I guess we'll just kind of jump neck deep into some of the stuff she was talking about. What she was asking kind of how I was doing. And, again, it's not the about the suffering because long story short, long story short, we're talking about mental mindset, how we get through certain just curveballs in life and I was just telling her this last year for me and again I'm not tying myself to the tree of woe because I know we're all going through something but it's just been absolutely kind of maddening for me doing losing loved ones I mean the last few years have just been crazy for all of us COVID etc but the last year has been really really crazy and I was telling her in the midst of like all of this madness I'd sometimes just get a little overwhelmed with how much how much more I don't I have than I don't have I'm still festooned with all these different blessings. I mean, I've lost some pretty close loved ones in my life and crazy shit's been going on, but it's like, moment, I have this breath. I have my family still. I have, you know, just, I'm, I stand up on my two feet. I'm grabbing my pin with my hands. I mean, just the simple things that we tend to overlook. So Mariah was talking about, you know, and she's a mental mind coach. Talk to us a little bit about how perspective is when dealing with all the different curveballs that we have in life instead of, in my opinion, I've been doing the whole, this is happening for me, not to me. But talk to us about how mind state and uh, mental perspective is not only when it's good, but definitely when it's bad. You know, I think each of us have our own challenges. One of the things I posted today is without the test, how do you have the testimony? And we've all had Mm. different tests and different life ambushes that have occurred to us. 
And the reality is if we don't have challenges, if we don't have the point where we're knocked down, then how do we expect to grow? And that's really what it comes down to is if we can look at lessons in life and things that feel completely debilitating where it's like, wow, I, I can't move forward. The reality is that's a choice. So when we look at, okay, this is a growth phase and and look at it from that and define it and then start moving forward. That's really what it comes down to. So like define the fight. What, what does that come from? Well, what is that fight? What are you fighting for in life? Or what are you fighting against? Because sometimes we resist change when the change is actually what you need in life. So mm. how do you expect to win the fight until you define what the fight truly is? And that's definitely obviously a huge part the mental mindset, you know, listening to the voice we tell ourselves of, of whatever it is, you know, I'll, I'll never get through this, et cetera. And it's, it's a discipline. It's not something that comes easy without a doubt, because especially in the face of, of loss of family members or, you know, big jobs or marriages, et cetera, you know, it's, it's something we're very used to and we're creatures of habit. So like when things do monumentally in our lives, we have to have the right mindset to, to get ourselves through it. Otherwise, I mean, almost going back to our last conversation with Nick Spawn, um, we have our life which in my opinion, you know, we're in infinite conscious awareness and we have our life situation. We so often allow our mindset to be decide, be determined by our life situation, whether it's job or relationships, loss of, loss of a loved one. So I think it's just hugely important that, that our mind stays right um, in the face of monumental adversity. Well, and it, it requires practice and it requires commitment. And that's where most people drop the ball. So we look at fitness, right? New Year's resolutions are just around the corner. And it, it comes down to, you know, what, four week life, six weeks, and then eventually people fall off the wagon. Well, now, if you look at fitness, if you look at mindset as a relationship, if you were in a significantly bad relationship, and all of a sudden it ended, would you revisit that same relationship in January again when the resolutions are coming around? Oh, things have changed, so on and so forth. Well, then you recognize four to six weeks later, you did the same thing you did before, and then the relationship falls to the wayside again. And then people revisit again and again and again. Well, there has to be change. Now, you use the term used to, right? People get used to doing A, B, C, D, and E. Well, if you're used to it, you need to spice it up a little bit, too, because now you're you're comfortable. Let's get comfortable in being uncomfortable, and that's when things start coming into play. So with the mind, you know, you talk about death, you talk about sickness and all of the different things, right, that you've experienced that all of us have experienced in some way, shape, or form. But now what are those action items that you're taking behind the scenes before those situations happen to improve your mental state of mind? You know, you talk about mm. breath work, you talk about AM rituals, PM rituals, like at the end of the day, are you debriefing? Where did I do well, but where can I do better? Because if we think that we're nailing the world, we're just knocking it out left and right. The reality is we we all have areas of improvement and areas of growth that we can become better at because you're never going to be a 10. You know, Pat and I have talked about or I've spoke about climbing the mountains, right? The different mountains. You know, you get to the top of the mountain, then it's like a false summit. Then there's another mountain for you to climb. Unless you feel comfortable and you want to stay, now you've just decided that your growth is going to end. 
Well, and, and yeah, that, Jeff, Jeff that you works. always talk about the new the, the new shoe crew is what Jeff calls the. <laughs> I stole that from my <laughs> brother, but yeah, the, the the New Year's Eve people. But I mean, and again, and it goes back to almost what we were talking about about Nick. It's like you know when the motivation is gone, you know, for those first three or four weeks after the New Year's resolution, you got to have that discipline. And if and if you already set your mind up, and basically, long story short, I'm asking how much does this have to do with resetting the unconscious, if you will, because we're so set in our ways a lot of times because the way our unconscious was written zero to seven, and we've been playing out that unconscious downloaded program since we were zero to seven. And so it's more than just like, hey, I have new shoes. I'm going to the gym. I'm going to lose weight because, like you said, statistically – those things fall off after a few weeks and you just go back to being what you were because you haven't retrained the subconscious or unconscious rather to, to be uncomfortable. Like you said, to embrace the suck or to embrace being uncomfortable and out of that comfort zone. Right. So, you, you know, you're talking about the mental mountain. So there's different ways that people look at the mental mountain. People look at mental as health, mental health. But what areas are you looking to learn more knowledge so is that reading, is that, you know, different types of certification, going into energy work so that you can actually understand it so you can get to a deeper level of consciousness. Now, I think a lot of people in the world today are actually opening up spiritually, and I think it scares the hell out of people who are in power. And the reason why I think it scares them is because they can't control people when they have gone to a deeper level of consciousness to truly understand what is going on in their life. Um, we talk about warriors, right? So you have to win the battle in your mind before you step foot on the battlefield. So if you're not doing that, how do you expect to move forward or unforeseen circumstances? How do you expect to win? The likelihood of success is pretty slim if you're not working on those intricate pieces within your mind. And it, you talk about discipline, but now let's talk about commitment. What is your level of commitment? People will set goals. They set goals in life. I'm going to achieve this goal. But how many people are actually committed to achieving the goal? So, you know, that's that's where it comes down to is a lot of different pieces. And what I can say for most people is when it comes to falling off from a goal, it's usually because there's trauma from the past that they haven't healed from. So now it's taking that dirt dive into the emotional trenches to start healing from trauma because trauma will show up in a different way, shape or form. It's almost like, okay, I'm walking on a road. Here's a little pebble. I'm just going to kick that pebble, AKA your trauma to the side. Not a big deal. I can handle it. Now all of a sudden you have a larger rock that shows up same trauma, but now it's growing. You can pick it up. You can throw it off to the side of the road. Now all of a sudden you've got a damn boulder that's on the road. So you can't move that, but I can walk around it. And now pretty soon it's a wall where you feel so defeated that you can't even climb the wall. So when we can start getting into those pieces, you're not going to heal through all of your trauma at one moment in time. You're only going to be allowed to heal certain pieces that you are able to recognize and that your body can cope with. So little pieces, once you work through that, you're like, life is good. I feel great. I healed three months down the road, <laughs> six months down the road. Then all of a sudden something brings forth a trigger. Or something happens, and now more pieces of that trauma starts to surface. So when we start working through all of this trauma, now spiritual awakening actually really starts getting interesting and gets deeper, and you're able to see things 
that you never thought you'd be able to see before and gifts start coming to the surface. And it's got to be daunting because oftentimes we have a lot of stuff to unpack and I just don't think, and I could be wrong, it just seems like people don't have the patience for that process. They want it to be, especially in this world of instant gratification, I want to be able to have one session with my therapist and be all all good to go. And like you said, you're good to go and then something else comes down the line that triggers you and you realize, no, I still have some work to do. But I'm just wondering, I mean, I guess there's probably not a lot of statistics on it, but how people don't come out the other side because they don't have patience for that very long process. And especially if you have way more trauma to unpackage, that's probably even more daunting to come out the other side, at least halfway sane. I think it's the pain. I think they're scared of the pain or the fear of what they're going to unpack. You know, it's, it's pain. So we've all experienced pain and emotional pain and trauma is heavy. Now I work through it, you know, and there's still things that come to the service that, that I have to deal with, but I wouldn't change any of it, Jeff. I wouldn't change the work that I did to be to where I am today. You know, in the, in the statement or the quote that says, turn your pain into purpose. So that pain that I've experienced in my past is now my purpose. I want to be able to live in acts of service. I want to help people heal and move through their pain because when they do that, now other people are in acts of service and you start creating a huge group and an army of light workers. And that's what life is all about mm-hmm. is recognizing that our mission in life is larger than ourselves. And far too often people are living in their ego because it's the need to wanting to fill. I have to fill my ego. I have to be right, right? The opinions of the world right now, it's like, I got to get in the last word. What if I told you that you didn't have <laughs> to get in the last word, right? What if I told you you didn't have to get in the last word and you would be happy and you would create change? Now, all of a sudden, light bulbs start coming off, but people are scared. They're scared to be vulnerable. They're scared to feel that pain, but they're also, you know, scared to not feed their ego because they've been feeding it for far too long. So, again, it comes back to when you're talking about the brain, retraining it, retraining it where we don't have to feed it, meaning ego. We have to feed ourselves, but not our ego. I have to say that was. You know, for many years, you know, in, in a bar or whatever, like, what's the thing you don't want to talk about, like spirituality or religion or politics? And sure enough, I'd be pony up and, you know, the arguments would happen. I wouldn't do the whole like, hey, you're a libtard or you're a this tart or you're, you know, you're lesser than because you don't think the way I do. But I would get into that like back and forth. Like, no, dude, you got to understand. And listen, it's like. I just stopped caring about that. You know, I mean, I don't know. I, I still have my own work with ego like we all do. But I, I, I mentioned this a lot right on the show. And just generally, I posted a meme where it was like, I'm at the stage of my life where I just avoid arguments. If you tell me one plus one is seven, I'm like, hell yeah, dude. Enjoy. You're absolutely right. You know what I mean? It's, I don't I don't care. I don't. We're all on our own path. But I mean, I think that's something. Let me ask you about this. Because I asked this about Nick Spawn. I heard this from a gentleman by the name of Eckhart Tolle. And I don't know if you've heard of him or not. Um he was talking about the, that need to be right, that needing to get the last word is all about ex- controlling external circumstances. And ultimately, it's a death because what's the one huge external circumstances circumstance that none of us can control? And that's death. And it's, it could be a leap, but I just found it very fascinating that that need to be right, that need to get the last word 
egos dominating, you know, your, your whole cosmology and your view of the world. And ultimately that has to do with potentially a fear of that ultimate reality that none of us can escape. Thoughts on that? Well, I think we're all going to die. I mean, I haven't met anybody who's immortal. <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> but ultimately that fear, that need to yeah. be right and control, even, even though the argument has nothing to do with death, it's about it controlling the external circumstances of this argument, which is an extension possibly more latently or unconsciously that, that, that big external circumstance, like I said, that none of us can control. I could so be wrong, say, but so, I, thought, well, I find it interesting. So we say ego, but then we also say control. And what if we let go of control of certain things in our life? What if we let go and we allowed what God or the universe actually wants to come into play? And we sit back, we get in the driver's seat, we still take action on the things that we want to do in life and the lives that we want to help create change, right? But what if we just sat back and allowed the flow to happen? Now, I, I want to make sure that I emphasize, I'm not saying don't work. I'm saying you need to work, but at the same point, listen, listen. So that also means listening in conversations. So about the last word, so on and so forth. But what if you just had this conversation in your head and you didn't even have to share it? Why do you always have to have a word? Sometimes the best thing to do for us is to listen, which also means to help ourselves grow. If we don't agree with somebody, start listening to podcasts that you don't agree with. Start listening Mm -hmm. to music that you don't agree with, because now you're opening your mind to how somebody else thinks. And then you can sit back and think about that and then have more rational or open windows or an open mind of, of what is life, because people think see things differently. And what if we took how you view something and how Pat views something might be completely different, kind of the same But what if you're able to merge those different windows together and now all of a sudden you might be impacting 10 here. He might be impacting 10. But now what if you merge those different pieces together and all of a sudden you're you're reaching millions? Well, I have to I have to butt in here. I have tried watching the view, Mariah, and it it didn't it didn't work. It did not work. (laughs) Watching what? You say the view? I tried watching you talk to everybody. Not gel well with me. But something that we normally cover in the beginning of every show. So people are wondering, you know, how you have these viewpoints and and your experiences and everything else. We haven't given you really the opportunity of where you've gained your viewpoints from through your past experiences and kind of what molded you. So you could fill our listeners in a little bit on that. So there's the reason when I look at like self defense. When we talk about fighting, a lot of people think that I teach self-defense or I was fighting is because of different things that I had experienced in my past. The reason why I fought is because I needed something more. I needed a carrot. I played three sports in college and personal training and helping people with nutrition is very easy for me because I'm able to get to a deeper level with individuals. However, I wasn't initially Um, When I was a freshman in college, we look at stats, right? One in four females are either sexually assaulted or raped in their first four years of college. Now, I fall into those stats. So with that comes a lot of different emotions that come with that piece of the puzzle. But then also, too, um, I was in an extremely unhealthy relationship, a narcissist, 
um, verbally abusive, physical a couple of times where I finally just cut the tie. I, I had to. Um, I lived in fear. I lived in fear for at least a couple of years for when I cut off the relationship, I was stopped for a couple of years where every night I was looking through the blinds of my of my room, my bedroom. At that point, we had a one and a half year old together and he would utilize my oldest as as a pawn on how to get to the house or how to get in because he knew during the day that I would avoid confrontation because I didn't want that to happen in front of our son. So he came from a family where his dad was abusive to his mother, um, extremely abusive to the point where he had a shotgun, shot up all the furniture in the house, um, you name it. It was it was pretty extreme. And I actually worked with his mom. There's a huge age gap. She had him at age 14. Um, and I happen to be clearly older than him as well. But I look back at those those moments and those emotions and it took me a long time to heal. It felt like I literally had hooks in the in my back and I was dragging a body behind me for however many years. It was heavy. I worked with a worked with a life coach for at least a year. Now the life coach wasn't one on one. The the life coach was more so for business coaching. And what I didn't realize is that my past relationship was impacting my vision for my business. So I did a 90-day vision where I wrote down what my intentions were and what I wanted to achieve in those 90 days. And a lot of people just write goals. Well, I wrote my goals in present tense that I had already achieved them and added emotions into the goals so that I knew exactly how I I was going to feel and how I wanted to feel. After those 90 days, it was crazy. It was like all of a sudden the light bulb came on. I felt completely different. The, The hatred, the anger, um, the sadness, all of those emotions that people view as negative. It was like the light came on and I actually called him and I said, I just called to thank you. And he goes, Mm. thank me. Thank me for what? It was almost like I could hear his jaw hit the floor. (laughs) I just, you know, I want to thank you for all of the different experiences that we went through together. I said, because I wouldn't be able to connect with the women that I am working with today. I wouldn't be able to share the different stories on um, experiences that I've, I've gone through, which a lot of them had also experienced. And it was, a, it was a turning point in my life where different things would pop up. I had financial strain, being a single mom, you know, at this point, later down the road, single mom of two. Um, it was opening my own gym that I had for 13 years, but I literally built it from the ground up and it was open in literally four months, four months um, without having a business degree and just knowing that I wanted something more for my children. And I remember counting in my head, am I going to have enough money to cover the amount of food that I have in my cart? And at that point in my community, I'm, I'm known pretty well because I do a lot of different community work with like the special Olympics, the PD, um, CCRI, um, and, and, and within the school systems. So it was embarrassing. I also knew there was moments where ego came into play where I had to check my ego. You know, when you're scraping by and you're known within the community, then all of a sudden you're like, man, I really need help. I need assistance. So I remember 
applying for public assistance because it was to the point where I really needed to, to make sure I was covering what I needed to, to keep moving forward with my business and clearly put food on the table for my boys. I remember walking into the, the office, putting the hood on, hat pulled down so that people wouldn't recognize me. And I had a self-talk and a self-check of, Mariah, this is something that you need to do. Now, your ego is telling you that you don't want to do this, but this is something that you have to do. So I had to check my ego at the door, in which I did. And, you know, and then everything kind of fell into play how it was supposed to. But there was a lot of learning points. And there was a lot of points where I just really felt like, man, I can throw in the towel right now. But then I was like, no, I can't. My children need me. And, you know, we were circling back to death. Uh, Jeffrey, you're talking about the fear of death. I did initially have the fear of death. I did. Because my kids were at the age where I didn't want them to go to their father if I was to pass away. And now that my children are more self-sufficient, that fear is no longer there. And I know that in my heart of hearts, like everything maps out how it's supposed to. Um, And I want my children to understand that too. It's like having these conversations that are tough are the most rewarding because you never know who's listening when you be vulnerable, um, when you're vulnerable with yourself and with others, now you have connection points and pieces that you can have with other individuals, and then they start sharing their stories, and people start healing together. That's really heavy. That's really heavy. And, it's again, it goes back to mindset and the willingness to want to basically get out of your own way. It seems like that's a lot of some of our issues. It's like whether it's ego or all of this other stuff, unpackaged trauma. And it's just all of it's necessary to get out of our own way to become the, the person that we're really meant to be. And it's a very – anybody listen to this, I'm not saying this flippantly like it's an easy process because I know it's not. You know, unpackaging and, and there, you know, being in therapy and all the process, all the steps in a process of getting out of your own way is really, really difficult. And I don't think, like you said in the beginning, like we're not – Ever. I, you know, I'm complete. I'm complete now. I'm a complete human being. I mean, we're always hopefully working through the process of becoming the best human being. But I don't know. Uh, seeing the issues that we need to take care of. And like I said, getting out of our own way is, is a big process. And um, but that no, that's that's really powerful hearing you saying that you were calling your your ex-husband or. I'm not sure the nature of the relationship, but again, it goes back to these things are happening for us. They're not happening to us. And to be able to see that, I mean, that's. I mean, we people listen to this, but probably all heard it. Like, I wouldn't be the person I was without all the bullshit that I went through. If it was all, you know, sunshine and rainbows, Pat wouldn't have been a UFC welterweight champ, you know, Hall of Fame. It's just these things he used as fuel to the fire to help, you know, become who he is. And again, people, anybody listen to this, don't be afraid to go through the process of getting out of your own way. You're, you're like I said, it's it's a lifelong process, but man, it's so freaking rewarding when you start seeing circumstances and situations in a way different than you did before and you just, you just cope and you deal with it differently than, you know, in any kind of toxic way, but it's, it's hugely gratifying, man. It's hugely gratifying to go through the fire and to go through the bullshit. It sucks. It, it's, it's painful sometimes, but in the end, it's uh, so many aspects of our life re- are rewarded for it. Well, and if you, and if you well, yeah. And if, if you want to rise, you have to do the work. 
imagine being in water, right? And you're, you're trying to swim and you've got a life vest on and it's like, all right, I'm getting closer. I'm getting closer. I'm getting closer. And then all of a sudden you feel a tug where you're tugged underneath the water. And now it's like, you know, when people bob up and down in the water, imagine that is all your trauma that is pulling you down. And what if you made a choice to work through that trauma? All of a sudden you're not getting pulled down as many times. And now pretty soon you can get rid of that life vest and you can swim. That's what it's like. And that's what it feels like when you're doing the work and you're diving into the emotional trenches, which suck. And I'm just going to tell you that right now. You might as well get 50 damn shovels because that's what it feels like. You do the work, you start digging. Then you're like, all right, well, I broke that shovel because it was heavy. All right, well, good thing you got another shovel. Let's move on to the next. Let's keep digging. I, I can't give or justice to words on how powerful it is when you really just don't give a shit about what anybody else thinks about you because you're so confident in who you are. And when you know that you can spread light, that you can bring joy, that you can bring peace and love to other individuals because you love yourself. It is powerful, and it's the most underestimated thing. So you're like, you have to love yourself before you love others. Yes, you do. You do. And some people love themselves 25%. Some people love themselves 50%. But the more that you recognize who you are as an individual, the stronger you become. And the more that you start living, breathing, and walking in the mission, in your purpose, and finding your light. And that is what life is all about. Mm. Very so much we've talked so. a lot about the we've talked a lot about the mental uh, overcoming a lot of things in life, the mental. Let's talk a little bit about the physical because I've done some of Mariah's workouts before and they were not pleasant, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> I can tell you that. <laughs> One of one of her leg workouts was so ridiculous that I, I didn't walk right for about five days, and my legs were actually in pretty decent shape when I did the workout. I mean, I've, I've, I've had some hard workouts before in my life, but Mariah, talk a little bit about you know the physical training and how that helps build the mental as well, because it's it's almost like a leapfrog effect where your mind one day will be stronger than the body, and you'll force yourself to do things. And then there's other days where you feel great, but you don't mentally feel like working out. And that, that leapfrog effect, they kind of tug each other down the road, so to speak, as you get better. So in I'm going to shift to COVID, and then I'm going to go into the physical and the, the mindset and working with some of the Navy SEALs. So last year, right, when you're, you're talking about COVID, a lot of people looked at, I missed out on a lot of different things in life. I missed this. I missed that. You know, and... I honestly did miss some really great opportunities. One was being able to go to Washington to um, receive an award for being Mother of the Year, but they canceled it because of COVID. However, I started researching on what can I do with this opportunity of my life slowing down a little bit? What can I do? So I looked at different things and I found some different crucibles. So if you're not familiar with crucibles, basically it's like the most crazy boot camp that you've ever done in your life. And it's not just an hour. It's quite a few, depending on what you choose. 
So last year I did a 12 hour uh, crucible where I was the only female and there was 30 guys in there and I could smell right away, just like with fighting, you can smell when somebody's just not going to make it. Um, and that was before we even started. Like I could see in their eyes, I'm like, this person's going to break. But in that moment, in those physical moments, we we ran a couple miles to get to the grinder where you're doing stuff in the mud, where they're spraying you down with hoses, dumping water on you, swearing at you, pushing you. It was 30 degrees. It was in California, overcast, windy, cold as hell. And we were never dry the entire time because of diving in and out of ice baths head first. You'd dive in head first, come out, then you'd go into the next ice bath and then pop out. And then you're right back into the grinder doing burpees, push-ups, squats, weighted squats, doing the Murph, carrying people on stretchers, carrying them up and down the mountain with a 40-pound rucksack on, doing stuff within the sand. And we hit the halfway point, point, and I'm in my mind, I'm like, all right, my knees are extremely swollen. I'm looking up at the sun, I'm like, okay, God, we got to be about halfway done so that's where the mind started coming into play. I'm like, okay, I've already, I've already finished half. Why wouldn't I want to finish the other half? And we had a small pause for eating, which um, was good that we ate. But at the same point, I think when you keep going, it's easier compared to having that little roadblock of stopping. And a lot of people were, there was probably five or six people that either A, broke or um, had to quit due to injury. But that's where the mantra started coming into my head, right? So when we get to that point of wanting to quit, my mantra of define the fight. You came here for a reason, Mariah. You need to define the fight. So it pushed through, finished. I did two or three other crucibles in that same year. But then I was able to catch myself for fitness on the same thing. It's like, I'm going to run on the treadmill. I'm going to run six miles, finish three I'm like, well, no one's going to know. I could just incline hike this bad boy, you know, still get X amount of miles in. But then I stop for a second. I'm like, hold, hold on here. You told yourself you were going to run six miles. And you will know that you didn't run six miles if you don't complete hmm. it. Did. But um, fitness, shifting gears slightly, it's very important. It's like a happy marriage. All of the pieces of the puzzle have to go into play. And a lot of people will come to the gym or not come to the gym because I'm too tired or I have this, I have that. The reality is you're too tired because you're not going to the gym. So you need to get those endorphins going. You need to get active. You need to move. And it's one of the greatest antidepressants ever. And depression is extremely high and so is anxiety, especially, you know, before, but even more so now. So how can you naturally get yourself into a different state of mind and into better health? Well, again, you have to move. You have to move. We wouldn't have joints. We wouldn't have joints in our elbows, our knees, so on and so forth, if we were meant to lay down. Okay? We have joints because we're meant to move. So um, fitness, if you haven't done anything in your life, if you've never been physically active, start with baby steps. You don't have to do the most challenging workouts in the world to get started, but you do have to get started, whether it's walking. If you just walk two days a week to get started, okay, now you're getting comfortable. Now you add in another day. And then you slowly start building this tier, and then you start changing your plan. So what a lot of people will do is they'll get um, stuck in doing the same thing over and over again, right, So that, because they're used to it. Well, they, you talk about plateaus 
or if you are driving a car and you put it on cruise control, you know exactly what the car is going to do, right? It's going to drive 55, 75, and in my case, probably 95, and it's just going to go. But eventually, it's not. it doesn't have to create change. It's the same thing with your body. You, you have to create change. So your, your heart rate knows what it's going to be at if you're doing the same thing over and over again. Your body temperature, your body's going to know exactly how many calories it's going to burn. So now you have to create change for your body to change. So in, if you're running three miles, maybe the next day you run sprints or you're doing strength, all of those different pieces of the puzzle. So it's important to add, yes, fitness, mindset, nutrition, um, because it comes over the, the monkey brain, right, the, the self-talk that we have going on and on and on and on and on again, because we all have it. But if we sit and we do nothing about it, then we have two monkeys in our damn brain that are talking back and forth with each other and maybe, you know, slinging some shit back and forth at each other. I mean, it gets ugly. So that's really what it comes down to is we need to create that change by doing something. Well, and that's the line I always found interesting. Nothing changes if nothing And it's like. I don't watch much TV anymore, but I used to really kind of enjoy that show. Um, they were really fat. I'm sorry, large, biggest loser. I think it was like yeah. these people would show up like really bad shape. And when I say, you know, just huge. And then by the end, they're, they're like com- transformed into another human being. Now, granted, they probably wouldn't have done that on their own. And a lot of them do go back to the way they were. But it's mm-hmm. just seeing the possibility of, like you said, having to start somewhere. You know, it's like, what was the joke? You know, you go to the gym after the first day, one more day and I'll be ripped. You know, it's like, no, it's it's a process and it takes a long time. But again, having the discipline, the motivation and the commitment, like you said, to be that better you. Like, I'm tired of, you know, it's really terrible that these exist. My 600 pound life, like the girl in the bathing in the in the the kid pool and the dad has to hose off his daughter. Cause she's just like, I mean, I don't know how people get in that condition. It's not a judgment, but it's just like, wow. But even in people in that extreme condition, it can get better, but it has to, you have to want to do it. And it's a very long process. It's not overnight, but like you said, you have to have that commitment or you're probably just going to go back to the way you were. And then that, that might even go back to rewriting the, the subconscious or the unconscious. Cause you haven't, unpackage the trauma you've just kind of rearranged the seats in the titanic and for a hot minute you look great but unless you did that real real deep dive work back yeah you know and the biggest loser yes i think gave inspiration to people about they can do it the motivation um but like you said most of them go back to the way they are because yes i think they had a psychologist so on and so forth but when you're pushing people to lose weight that fast like that excessive it's it turns into a, a race or a sprint instead of a lifelong marathon. And and that was my problem, I think, with the show was the fact that you're pushing them so extremely. No one is going to push themselves that hard or maybe a very minute percent. It's not something that is sustainable. It's not. So you took individuals out of their natural environment and all they do now is work out, they've got people making food for them, so on and so forth. So then my question is, what what was the transition? It's just like training civilians to be soldiers. They fail to train soldiers to be civilians. It's the same thing with the biggest loser. They they train individuals to be active, so on and so forth, at a really fast pace. But now how are they making those adaptations to when they go home, when they start working, 
when you bring family into the mix, they're not going to be able to consume. And I shouldn't say consume, but, you know, it's time. But then the same thing, they're consuming different things when they get home as well. So it's not a quick fix. Not at well, all. There's, there's a lot of, you know, we hear a lot of talk about, you know, when it gets to nutrition, we know that, you know, I talk about this all the time, that Americans are obese, but yet starving nutrition-wise. So um, we can talk a little bit more about that, but we also talk, you know, they say, oh, it's genetics, obviously. You know, my grandpa's fat, my dad's fat, I'm fat. And it's really, more than anything else, most of the time anyway, that they've been eating out of the same pantry, they have the same eating habits, and they just don't realize that. So speak to that a little bit, maybe. Well, I think some is hereditary to a certain extent, right, depending on. But at the same point, you know, I just had uh, an exam two two weeks ago, and what I didn't realize is now they are, for cholesterol checks, they are now screening kids under the age of 18 for high cholesterol at a very rapid rate. So now you're looking at the increase of type 2 diabetes. Um, You're looking at, yes, obesity has risen significantly because people aren't cooking. People don't understand. And like the cost of food, you look at inflation. Now you're looking at strawberries that are, you know, used to be maybe $2.99 for a container they're significantly higher. So now they're making it harder for individuals to be healthier. However, it's still a choice. It's still a choice on where are you going to put your funds and how are you going to eat? But the reality is if we look at, if we look at our country, if they really had our health at the best interest, the best interest of our health, a huge percentage of the food wouldn't be on the shelves. It just wouldn't. It wouldn't even have been passed through the FDA. Pop, soda wouldn't exist. Um, But since it does, now, yes, parents have to be more proactive for their health and be role models for their children because, yes, they're going to eat what they see. They're going to eat what is in the house because they're clearly not paying the bills, especially when they're five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. But most parents don't recognize the fact that if they're feeding them sugar over and over and over again. Now you're also increasing ADD, ADHD on top of everything else, depression. Um, sugar is sugar in my eyes is the main drug, is the top drug in the US that is actually killing people. So what do you the do about white that? death. It is. I mean like think about it. It's crazy. and how much I mean I almost no yeah, and and again, I think you know we we are more educated on how terrible food is for us, but how much? I mean, it's obviously a dereliction of parents' duties, and I don't want to go as extreme as being child abuse, but when you have a child feeding this garbage too, and you see what is happening to them, especially these young kids who are morbidly obese, maybe have diabetes type one or two, have cholesterol issues at such a young age, what do we do about? I don't even know if I'm using the right word penalizing, but holding parents accountable for, I mean, cause literally when they're poisoning their kids, it's a, you don't have to like be beating their ass with a belt to be abusing your child, in my opinion. And when you see what they're feeding them and what it does to them and what we know medically what it does, how's that not in some way, shape or form, some measure of child abuse? 
No, and I agree with you. My son plays uh, 10U football, and there was a boy that was playing 5'7", 265 pounds at age 10. Now, he could barely bend his knees. Um, as soon as he got off the field of, from playing center, he would lay down on the grass. And it was very disheartening to me because I looked at that child, not in regards to um, belittling or degrading but I felt sorry for him because of the way that, yes, he was being fed and treated at home. But I also gave him a pat on the back in my head because at least he was on the field. For but sure. Then, but then there comes a scary point is, is it safe for him to be on the field? You know, what? when was the last time that he had an active physical? What is his heart? Where Where, where is everything at with that mix? Because, um, it's scary to see that. So when I personal train clients, um, obesity is a red flag. And I will hand out medical releases for them to have fill out by their doctor, literally like candy. Because the thing is, if there's something that's going on underneath the mix, if they're severely obese, absolutely they need to fill it out. Because I want to know all of the underlying things and if their doctor has anything, anything that they are activities that they shouldn't be doing. But when it comes to food and you're talking about abuse, so on and so forth, yes, I view it as abuse. But then I also look at the fact of when you talk to parents, how were they brought up? Right. So we talk about retraining the brain. Now, how do you retrain adults when it comes to food? And if their parents fed them like that, right, the generational, that's how, you know, whether it's culturally, generationally, and that's what they're fed. Well, it tastes good. But. Tasting good doesn't mean that it's good for you. <laughs> and some people, some people don't want to change. So now, so now what, right? So what is the solution? You know, we're talking about the problem, but what is the solution to that? Is it, you know, parents have to go to different types of classes to learn more about nutrition? Do we also look at economic status on what, what can they afford for food to feed? seven kids. Yeah. Right. Then we also look at um, the fact of too. you know, look at our public schools. They're not feeding healthy food either to our children. No. So if we're, we're telling them and trying to educate them to feed their kids healthily, you know, healthy foods and our public schools or private schools or whatever aren't feeding healthy food either. Now we're being hypocrites. So, the solution is far deeper than what meets the eye. Yeah, well, systemic, you, know, and, you know, now, yeah, sorry. Now, now we're going into, you know, it's fall heading into winter. Obviously we're in winter. You know, you've got Halloween. Everybody goes out, sends their kids out, takes their kids out, collects giant bags of candy <laughs> and gorge <laughs> on it for God knows how many weeks. Get the, the candy gets them all the way to Thanksgiving dinner and Americans gorge on food again. It's just this constant. And, of course, Christmas comes around, and it's more gorging. And then you're indoors, certainly for people in the Midwest like we are, uh, indoors most of the time during the winter, lack of vitamin D because you're not getting sunlight, uh, sickness, and everything else gets worse in the winter. It's a combination of a lot of those things, I think. So you know, I had that conversation with my youngest daughter where she always wanted a donut when she went to the grocery store with me. 
And I hated buying her donuts. <laughs> I, I hated doing that to my kid because I know how bad that shit is for my, for my children. And so, uh, and, and the pantry at one time in my life previously when I was uh, married, I kept that constant argument was going on about these types of things being in my pantry constantly uh, because I didn't want my kids gorging on carbohydrates, right? Pastas and, uh, you know, the, the breakfast cereals and, you know, all that sort of stuff. We're all guilty of, of not eating correctly at times, but it's just something I didn't want in my pantry. Uh, but I had that conversation with my daughter finally where I said, no, I'm not going to get you a donut because I love you. I love you too much to buy you any more donuts. We're not doing that anymore when you're with me. And so I just do my best to do that. And that's something that, you know, parents parents hopefully can take that upon themselves. And, you know, we have to eat better. And, Jeff, I think it was you that talked about Gandhi when he was asked a question by a, a lady, brought her son or child to him and said, tell my, tell my child not to eat sugar. And Gandhi said, come back in five days and talk to me again. And the lady came back in five days and said, uh, tell my son not to eat sugar. And he said, don't eat sugar. He said, why didn't you say that five days ago? And Gandhi said, well, back then I was eating sugar. <laughs> <laughs> right? I remember saying that, but that's funny. That's funny. Yeah, so, you know, that's the thing is, we, but, I mean, you know, getting the I message out is part, like, part of the message, right? I'm sorry. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, like I said, there's in an age of information, in the age of information, ignorance is a choice. And again, I hate to use such hyperbolic terms such as like child abuse, but it's like if your kid presents with a bruise on their, you know, FDA or whatever, the, the agencies are going to come in because there's clear abuse going on. If your kid's presented at 10 years old, needing all these drugs and he's huge and not only just the diet, we're allowing these kids to sit in front of freaking video games for 16 or 10 hours a day. They're eating nothing. They're moving nothing. And it's like, I, again, I hate to keep saying this, not necessarily abuse where they need to be penalized or have your kid taken from you, but some kind of like, I hate to even use the term re-education, but education on, on what you're doing to your child. But again, it, it starts at home. And like you said, generationally, whether it's genetic, you know, I've, you know, raised in a black family as a black dude, you know, Thanksgiving, you know, I don't eat it, but like chicken. Og mogs, fat back, pig feet. I'm like, are you fucking putting that in your body? What are you doing? And he's like, why, why do we have such a history of high blood pressure and heart disease and diabetes in our family? Like, I don't know. Let's take a look at what we're freebasing on the freaking, you know, Christmas and, and Thanksgiving. But again, I think there just needs to be more education. And people have, Pat, we've had this conversation with Tim James again with all this information out there. It's not a matter of lack of information. It's the willingness to want to make these changes and to stick to it and be committed to it. And that's kind of where I see we're kind of lacking. Like you said, Mariah, nobody cooks. That Nobody cooks like real fruits and vegetables. Why would I do that when I can drive through a drive through wherever and pay $10 for a bunch of freaking completely nutrient lacking just empty calories of Big Macs and fries and blah, 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 blah. And, you know, fill their, fill my kids' gullet for the night and they love it. And they say, well, I'm full, but you're not really full of any, anything nutrient dense. You're just full of empty calories. But I don't know. Man. Well, and and again, we talked about this before. They feed us, feed us garbage and then we go into the pharmaceutical industry and it becomes this revolving door where we stay eating garbage and then they feed us garbage to make us better. And it's like this never ending cycle. Well, you said because they love it, right? When you're, you mentioned about eating, going through McDonald's, so on and so forth, and like, oh, they love it. So a lot of people feel or parents view love through food. 
So by feeding kids certain things, they feel like they're loving their children by giving them what they like or what their children love. So it goes even deeper, right? So love isn't food. It's love to feed your kids, yes, because you love your children. But it can be twisted to the point where people think that because I'm giving this to them, they're happy. They love me. Mm. I love them. So now it becomes an even more twisted wheel because, you know, look at um, older adults. What do they do, you know, when, you know, things are bad, so on and so forth? They overeat or it's like they indulge on so many things because of love or people who are single, right, that are seeking another individual, and they don't have that companion. Now they've created a love and a love connection or relationship to food. So there's just so many different pieces of the puzzle that it's more complex than what we're looking at, but yet it's not yeah. at the same point, right? So there's emotions that are tied yes. to So I don't know. I don't know what the solution is because everybody has a different view. Everybody has a different upbringing. Everybody has the knowledge and the resources right in front of them and we can preach until we're blue in the face but at the same point it still comes down to a choice that person has to make a choice Mm. and be able to identify that what i am doing and what i'm providing right now to my family isn't healthy until they see it as unhealthy they're not going to create that change um same within the school even go ahead i'm sorry even when it's, it's what's so weird, and I'm not saying I'm Mr. Goodbody or make all the best choices, but even sometimes when you know it's bad for you, you you know this isn't good for me or my kids, I just, I don't know if it's that creature of habit kind of thing. We will do things that we know aren't good for us and just keep doing it. Mm-hmm. You know, I even, even if it involves our kids. <laughs> yeah, habits, right? Habits that hard, right? So, you know, it's, it's hard to say because I had a roommate, um, who loved her child or loves her child very, very much. She passed away last year, but she would feed her child over and over again. Food, 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 love, love, love. But their their connection and their attachment was unhealthy. But she was single, and she wanted to keep her daughter close to her always, right? So it wasn't necessarily a mother-daughter bond. It was like a best friendship kind of bond. Like, I need to keep her. This is my relationship so on and so forth. So their bond was food. Um, They both clearly struggled with with weight. Um, But how do you shift that, right? So a lot of it is psychological. Would that be considered like a form of, would that be considered a form of like that um, Munchausen? Like keeping my kids, I love you, but I'm going to keep you sick and not in your best form because I, I, you know, because we bond through this. We bond over the bucket of chicken in a movie. But I mean, this is—I I mean, don't know. I, again, I'm not a doctor, but I just thought of like Munchausen syndrome when, when you talked about that, like keeping not, your child. Jeffrey, Jeffrey, thank God you're not a doctor because you would be the third leading cause of death in the country if you were. <laughs> <laughs> they are. They, without a doubt. They're... Yeah. So it's there's yeah. just different things, right? Different different well, things um, that people sorry. go through. No, go ahead. And there's no silver bullet to fix it. I mean, I guess, again, it, you know, Anthony Robbins, I hate to quote Anthony Robbins, but in the moment of decision, our destiny is formed. We have to make a choice, like you said, to just whatever it is, to want, want to be better. Nothing changes if nothing changes. And, and this is another thing Pat and I have kind of talked about. And, you know, as much as we want, every, we're not going to save everybody. 
we're not even going to probably save even a, a percentage of everybody. I and mean, we have to allow people to make their choices, even though through their bad decisions, it erases our, you know, healthcare costs, et cetera, et cetera. But it's, this notion of we're going to save everybody is, is but we, we want to save as many as possible. Cause again, in this age of information, ignorance is a choice. And we know McDonald's is not good for you. We know these certain things are not good for you, your child, but we still, you know, I, I always trip out, man, driving by McDonald's and seeing the line, the drive-through line, like still long as hell. Like we're still doing this. You know, some people haven't gotten the memo. But before you, we let you go. I'm sorry. Respond to that, please, if you have a response. No, I was just, you know, listening to you. The first thing that popped into my head is um, goal is to save as many people. Well, the reality is you have to save yourself first because. You're not able to save well, anybody. It all starts with us as individuals, for sure. Right. So that that's the first thing that I went to with that. But, yes, I think, too, when you look at McDonald's and the fact that, again, it's quick, easy, convenient. That's what America is. That's what people want is I don't have to do the work. It's cheap. And the reality is we're, we're causing more damage to ourselves mentally, physically, spiritually, and emotionally by not going into the harder things that require work. As Jeff has alluded to several times, it's obvious that mothers are the largest mass murderers in the country. That's, that's <laughs> the way Jeff is portrayed. <laughs> Jeff is literally <laughs> mothers <laughs> during, during this uh, episode. Shame on you. Only I mean, whichever, whichever parent, whichever parent. And, you know, again, not to go deep down that rabbit hole, but I think that's we we have that very drive through way in which we see the world. Uh, um, You know, hey, I just watched the 30 minute news program, so I know what's going on as opposed to like, no, 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 no. There, there needs a much more deeper dive going on for you to get the full understanding. And we can't have this kind of drive through uh, aspect of how we see the world the same way we feed our kids. But. You know, I digress. Something I did want to ask you, because you had said you have worked in Reiki before. Yeah. Um, if you can, for the layperson, explain what that is. And my question is, and I've heard and I've talked to people who engaged in this and tell me if I've got the, the description of it wrong. You're kind of pulling energy off of people to some degree. How much do you have to have your own spiritual shields up so it doesn't? your spiritual equanimity, if you will, from a metaphysical standpoint. You might pull something off somebody and it sticks to you kind of thing. I don't know if you believe in that, but talk to a little bit about what Reiki is and how you protect yourself from the things you might be pulling off of people. I would say not necessarily pulling energy off, but giving energy to. So with with Reiki, it's, um, you know, yoga had this stipulation in the past that it's a cult, um, you know, energy work, ah, you know, the different thing of like witches and all this stuff. I don't agree with the, those terms. Um, I look at energy as energy. Everything has energy that is around us. So when you look at Reiki, there's there's a lot of different ways that people do it. Sometimes people will do Reiki and they don't speak at all, where they are basically, they'll start from the crown chakra, work all the way down to your feet and then come back up again, where their goal is to give you energy, to give you light, um, to open up your chakras. If there's a block in like your throat chakra to help move energy throughout um, so that when you are done with the session, maybe not that day, but the next day, usually you you have a you wake up differently. I will have Reiki done on myself when it feels like there's just a dark cloud that's looming above me and I just can't free that space. To me, that tells me that spiritually and energetically that I've got a block somewhere and I, I need energy from somebody else. Right. 
Um, so when I give energy or do Reiki work, um, people have different gifts, right? Where it's clara audience, clairvoyance, you know, clara cognizance, so on and so forth. But um, I see things when I do Reiki. So I interpret them as I see them. So when I'm working on the top of somebody's head, um, I will see like a movie script, whether it's black and white, I will explain to them. So what people don't understand is that what you see might have a different meaning to it. So I never talk about death. I don't talk about like negative connotations, but I'm just going to give an example of death. If somebody hears death, it doesn't mean that somebody's going to die. It could mean the end of a journey and the start of a new one, right? So just so that mm. people are, are aware of that. So um, I kind of went on a, a little bit different tangent, but I see trauma. That's what I do, and I help people work through trauma um, when I do Reiki. And then I also see different things that might be um, great shifts that could occur in their life or actions to move forward towards. For energy block, I will always make sure that I picture myself as if I'm at, you know, I've got a bubble around me so that the energy isn't penetrating into mine. Um, I won't do a lot of Reiki sessions back to back um, or very often, depending on um, I can get a good sense of people's energy. There's some people's energy that I will not tap into um, because it is not in alignment with hmm. me. And I just the intention of the people, I am I'm very careful of that. I'm very careful. So being able to read, right, you can tell if people have negative or positive intentions. And then there's some people, too, that are trying to penetrate into your light. Right. So darkness does try to penetrate into light. So I'm very precautious. I, I guard myself. Um, have I been wrong in some cases? Absolutely. We all have. We all have. Um, but my goal in life is to to help people. Right. So I have a client who has seen um, in the past a psychologist you know, a couple times a week. And the individual who has trained me and who continues to help me um, learn more and more about my gifts and open me even even deeper. You know, you talk about the Akashic records, all of these different things to be able to see and go in. Um, she had mentioned that energy work works very well with counseling. I'm not saying it overpowers or trumps counseling. But she said, Mariah, with the different things you're able to do and what you see, she said, it is like an individual who has seen a counselor for two years. You're able to do the same amount of work in a session. So mm. it's important to couple different things together. And it's just like personal training. Um, you're going to get different things, like different tools that will work really well for you. Um, but not necessarily all of the tools. So this personal trainer over here might have different tools that can help open you up a little bit deeper into your fitness journey, right? So it's the same with energy work is we all have different gifts. Whether you do Reiki or not, we all in life have different gifts. And we're all intuitive. Every single person in this world is intuitive. Not everybody knows how to tap into it. So it's just step by step. The, the more that you learn and go into healing yourself, the more different windows and doors start to open. And mine didn't start opening until I was in my early 30s. And it feels like the more that I grow as an individual, um, the, the more it comes to me, the more I'm able to see. Right. So it's like being in the flow of life instead of stopping mm -hmm. the flow. 
Fascinating stuff, man. Very fascinating. And it, it's so, you know, again, I'm not a practitioner of anything related to kind of metaphysical or energy, but it's so real. It's almost like, uh, you know, when you like walk into a room and you they've been fighting in the room and you walk into it, and you immediately like, all right, something is you, I could feel something's off here. Like. We got about me or whatever you guys fight you could just tell there's something in the air where you could just feel it and you know I, I don't have any way to gauge or whatever but i mean i think doing that kind of energy work is very important um i've always found reiki very very fascinating um so i kind of wanted to get your insight about it. i could definitely talk to you more about it but uh we are short jeff, have you have, jeff have you ever time. had reiki Patrick, done on you brother? have you ever had reiki done on you jeff I, I don't, Mariah, you can tell me if I did or not. A friend of mine, it was like over the phone. She said she could do it over the phone. I don't know if that's a thing you have to be physically present for. I don't know if it's similar to like, I'm going to pray for you or pray over you or just, you don't have to be physically to like, to engage in that process. But technically I was told I was having Reiki done on me, but I wasn't physically present with the person doing it. So I thought that um, initially that you always had to be present with a person to do Reiki. And um, with my mentor, She's like, Mariah, you don't have to be present with them. You can do it over the phone. You can, you know, do it over, you know, seeing somebody on Zoom. And I have been practicing that. Um, I personally um, like to feel the energy of the person. And when I say that, it's because I can feel different things. Like if there's inflammation within the body, then I can physically feel that with my hands or the vibration or the heat that is coming from different areas. So I guess that's... Um, what I prefer is more in person, but is it possible to do Reiki, um, you know, virtually? Yes, or over the phone it is. Interesting. So I, I, I experienced Reiki one time, Jeff, in my entire life, and it was a, a very, very unique feeling, I can tell you. Did it, could you tell, like, something was happening, or, like something worked? <laughs> Well, all I can tell you is that I fell asleep during the Reiki session, and when I woke up, I felt better than I'd ever felt. Like there was nothing, there nothing had ever traumatically happened to me in my entire life. My energy was perfect. I felt perfect physically, spiritually, uh, a total peace with the world, and that's that's what I experienced anyway. Yeah, you fell asleep in 17 seconds, by the way. <laughs> I can't imagine that, Pat. Literally, literally. <laughs> That's hilarious. And now, is that something? I don't know if Pat was just saying that tongue in cheek. Is that could, do you have to be like physically conscious, or is that something you could be basically for and still have things work as it relates to energy work? Okay, do you want to repeat that one more time? I'm sorry, Jeffrey. Do you have to, is it something you have to be like conscious for? Could Pat have been, do you have to be awake in order for this to work or could Pat be asleep and you still be able to do your, your energy work? You could still do energy work on him whether he's awake or sleeping. Cause okay. you're feeling, you're feeling his energy and you're, you know, you're also clearing his face at the same point. So, you know, some people will fall asleep during the session. Um, quite a few will. Um, some will cry emotions that you know they just they can't hold them in they start releasing the emotions um so it's it's normal for people to fall asleep because their their mind and their body is actually shutting down right they're going into a place of peace in a different spot so um if you think of a massage you know if you fall asleep during a massage are you still getting the massage yeah you are right you're just asleep during interesting 
same thing as Reiki isn't massage. Right. I want to clarify that. Um, but yeah, it's, it's an amazing, it's an amazing, um, tool. It's an amazing thing that people, if you have never had Reiki, make, I want to make sure you clarify. Don't just do Reiki to do Reiki. There's a lot of people out there that say they do Reiki and, um, you know, it's a buzzword right now. So just really be precautious of that. Um, you really want to make sure that you are in alignment with the energy of the person that would be tapping into your energy because there's a lot of people. Mm. I mean, I had Reiki done by one person. I was like, oh, should I? Shouldn't I? I'm like, I'm just going to feel this just to see what it felt like. And I'm like, no, like I would have never done it again with that person. So it's like just be precautious on on your field, your energy field, because it's something that you own. It's very valuable. And there's people that might have ill intentions, too, that are trying to tap mm. into your, your your energy. So, you know, when you're around people, I, you know, feeling people, when you said feeling people when you come into the room, I will not invade people's energy or their their space or anything like that when I'm in the same room with them unless I have permission because that is their their spirit their body and yeah. it's it's just like a doctor you're not going to have a doctor you know do something unless you're signing off and give permission it's the same thing with energy which I feel is even stronger value um than that well, whether Reiki or just general life experience, man, command your space, ladies and gentlemen, command your space, make sure your energy is consistent with yourself and uh, never, never apologize for commanding your space. That's for sure. Patrick, I have quite enjoyed this conversation with Miss Mariah today. This has been awesome. She's always capable of going as deep as you want, Jeff. So we'll, we'll definitely have her back on. And Mariah, what for sure. I would like you to do now is let people know how they can get in touch with you, your website, how they can follow you on Instagram, other things like that, to uh, catch some more information from you. You got it. So on Instagram, it's just my first and my last name, Mariah Prusha, or, you know, same with the website, or definethefight.com. Whatever feels easier for you to spell, go with it. <laughs> all right. For all the We will add those there, links in the description. We will add the links uh, that she just mentioned in the description of the video. Mariah, I can't thank you enough for your time. As obviously, we've met before, but it's a pleasure to have had a little bit more in-depth conversation with you. And absolutely look forward. Thank you. It was an honor being on the show. Yeah. And yeah, thank you. Thank you, Mariah, for joining us. And for my co-host, Jeffrey Wilson, this is the end of another episode of the Self-Defense Warrior Podcast. Thank you so much. Yeah. Hey, so I had to turn my camera off a lot because I didn't have very clear signal. Was I breaking up a lot?